Thanks for joining us today on the Jesus Famous Podcast. Hey, throughout the centuries, through all the persecution and the ups and downs that have come along with the history of the church, the church actually has kind of kept a really great track record of still consistently gathering together on a regular basis. And what we learned from this is that God is all about the church gathering together. And here at Calvary, what we like to say is that our church is built up of a lot of small gatherings, which we call life groups. And so in this conversation today, Pastor Nate's going to talk to us about a really key element to our small groups, and that is gathering around a conversation about the Word of God. So on a scale of like 1 to 10, how has your life group leader been this quarter? And if you could just give us their name, that'd be helpful for this one. <laughs> just as we're thinking about what small groups are, just give us like a, like what's like the vibe I'm on so this person? I'm so judgmental when it comes to my life group leader. Are you yeah. taking notes the whole time? Like he can improve on this? I just, what I do is I send a helpful email oh, after yeah. each group to... <laughs> You're the email Kim, guy. Kim, but I like to copy the whole group, you yeah, know, yeah. and just kind of, it's more constructive criticism, Absolutely. I feel like. Yeah. No BCC, just like, or BBC, just Yeah, CC. no, I'm not blind carbon copying. I am totally visible carbon yeah. copying. <laughs> yeah, and just, you know, yeah. That's a great way to give feedback. I'm sure he really appreciates that. I, I actually, I just sit there and I think, it's hard to be a life group leader. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> the silence, I think, is the one that gets me Did so much. Did your group much. face that too? My group deals with a fair amount of silence. Yeah, mine yeah. too. I hear of these mythical mm. unicorn groups where the conversation is always flowing. <laughs> <laughs> but in my group, it, there's it usually takes us a little while to yeah, get yeah. to get to get our juices flowing. Get in the rhythm know? of yeah. the conversation. Yeah, totally. You that know, so, so it just you kind of we just kind of wait. You know, just kind of chill. I don't know if there. Sometimes I feel like awkward because we're talking usually about a sermon and a text <laughs> that I just taught the previous. That's Sunday. what I was wondering. Yeah. So I kind of like oh, I don't know if they're waiting for me to say something, but I'm not gonna budge, man. I'm, <laughs> I already said something. <laughs> On Sunday. Did the hard work already, yeah. man. You already set the table for them. That's so funny, man. Dude, when, I, when I saw that you wrote this article, I was really excited. Anytime you've written an article about small groups, life groups, and like community, I've always been really excited because I think that, you know, just for our church, these have been huge just with developing the culture here, um, people developing friendships, but also seeing potential leaders and people finding just support in their lives. So, Really glad that you wrote about this, especially. Plus, oh, go for it. Well, plus yeah. you're a millennial and you love community. community. Yeah, it just it tickles my ear in such a <laughs> in such a powerful way. It's crazy. <laughs> Dinner, coffee, community. Um, but I, I actually, you know, I think that's one of the good things about your generation. Yeah, you know, it's like every generation gets critiqued for various things. You know, oh, yeah. usually the generation before it uh -huh. is the one giving the strongest critiques. <laughs> but I think almost every generation on earth right now could and should learn from mm. the sense of community that the millennial generation at least says that yeah. they want to have, you know, I yeah. think it's beautiful. I think it's admirable. Sometimes it feels more like a mantra than like actually what's practiced. Yeah, but totally, totally. I totally get that. Yeah. Too. I, I really benefit from it personally, but 
man, I just love this article, Nate, because you talked about kind of the the thing that these groups in our church especially all center around. Yeah. And that is just um, around a biblical-based sermon. And so rather than coming to a group and trying to wonder, what am I going to talk about? How am I going to contribute to the group? We already have a text to come to. Yeah. And so um, I thought just for a moment you can kind of refresh our memories about how these small groups kind of came into play at our church because we're not a church that has a history of having small groups forever, but they really came into play um, through a lot yeah, of your well, leadership. Well, I mean, years ago, you know, 15, 20 years ago, we had lots of home fellowships. Okay. Um, and and when I say that we had a lot of them, we had probably a, a quarter of the amount of life groups that we have. So right. there were maybe, there was maybe 10, uh, maybe a little bit more, but they were usually led by people who had gone through training to be able to prepare a Bible study. And those can be really beautiful. You know, I've known a lot of people who have gotten into pastoral ministry through that avenue. You know, I started out with a home fellowship and I was, you know, preparing Bible studies and it's a pretty cool, you know, model and a neat thing to do. But over the years they began to dwindle. The onboarding of a leader is just, astronomical oh yeah that's too strong of a word it just takes a while to get somebody ready to be able to do that plus i found that a lot of times the type of person who would want to volunteer for studying the bible alone by themselves for six to seven hours a week to prepare for a group wasn't always the best at being a group guy you know because they just kind of dug being alone and kind of geeking out on the text and some of the social skills weren't as strong. Yeah. I get that. Um, and I, you know, that's, it's the pot, pot calling the kettle black for me to say that. I mean, cause I can totally relate to that experience. Right. You know, I dig being alone, studying, thinking all that, you know, mm-hmm. and really like social skills have been more of like a learned trait mm-hmm. in my life. Um, but yeah, there was a time where, where those had, dwindled down to you know maybe one or two groups that were still meeting and so the church had a lot of ministries and had Sundays was starting to kind of come back into like an upswing uh, cycle again Mm -hmm. as a church after some years of decline and just kind of getting our new equilibrium for what we were going to be as a fellowship and it just seemed to me and to the other pastors that a lot of people didn't really know each other and that there wasn't strong Christian fellowship that was taking place. So I started praying about that, wanted to uh, remedy that, Hmm. Uh, was always pretty convinced that that wasn't going to be solved with like hallelujah nights and a few like um, fellow, a few like uh, potlucks or something like that where like we're just kind of mingling. There's just something different about mingling versus like seeing the same group of people week after week in a home. That's just a different level of connection and building uh, relationship. Uh, So, you know, I started thinking about that, but then you also have to start considering what discipleship really is and what that looks like. A lot of people want to think about discipleship in a real linear kind of way. Here's all the stuff you need to know. I'm going to shape it in the form of a curriculum. We're going to go through that curriculum. At the end, you will be a disciple. Yeah. And then the second you make that disciple, quote unquote, 
uh, that disciple goes and like does some new thing in life that they're like, whoa, I don't know how to do this. Mm -hmm. They need more discipleship. But a lot of times in a life group kind of setting, you'll have people who, you know, maybe they they got married, they think they know what to do in marriage, they hit a rough spot in their marriage, and now all of a sudden they want to know about marriage. Whereas Mm -hmm. when you were on week seven, marriage in your discipleship course, they took the notes, they listened, but they weren't really caring all that much about what you had to say because it wasn't urgent in their lives. So I think that the life group, you know, and I'm all for communicating information, but I think that small groups being committed to that, it just kind of is a great aid to, as life comes at you, you're with other believers Mm -hmm. and you're seeing how they're doing life and it's impacting the way that you're making decisions in your own life. It's just, it's a, I think it's a, it's a great add on to whatever a church does to communicate scripture, to make disciples, because it kind of just comes alongside like where a person is at in their everyday life. So once we saw that, we just said, okay, well, we need to organize the church um, in that direction. Uh, And to say it that way, it's like, so not actually what is happening. Because Mm. if you're going to have a ton of life groups in a church, organization is like the last thing that's going to actually happen. You're just like letting loose this like, (laughs) craziness of the holy spirit just doing stuff yeah like wow okay that person's gonna be over there this person's gonna be over there this group's gonna start that group's gonna start (laughs) you know you're really like i think really watching uh, you know with some gentle guidance and leadership and structure you're just watching this more explosive dynamic work of the spirit take place, you know? Mm. So it sounds like, you know, if it's like for us, when I think about it, it's like, well, you register for a group and then we have like leaders and then a certain amount of people per group. You know, it sounds like all highly uh, like regimented and organized, but the reality is it's just this mass chaos of like, get in a life group, you know? (laughs) And just like, who knows? where people are going to end up and the spirit yeah. puts different people with uh, the right people and just I cool things happen, you know? Yeah. So for me, it, you know, it, it almost feels more organic, spiritual, mm. supernatural than just, Hey, this is our program. This is what we do, you know, get in it, you know, kind of thing. It just feels very relational, loose, and spirit driven so i really you know i dig stuff like that oh yeah same it's cool to hear you talk about like that it's just like a refreshing perspective uh the article that you wrote nay it talked about some of the different benefits from these sermon-based groups oh yeah so that we could talk about um a few of the actual benefits that you mentioned the first one being um how it can actually allow for the maximization of god's word in our lives so can you talk about like, how does that happen in these groups? Is it the conversation that helps that? Like, how does God's word kind of come alive in these? Yeah. Groups? So, so like you mentioned, our groups are sermon based discussions inside the group. So, one thing we try to communicate is that the discussion is just part of mm-hmm. the life group. So, right. the time in prayer together, the time in fellowship together, just getting to know each other, hanging out together. The time sharing, you know, about your own life, which mm-hmm. is sometimes connected to the prayer time. Right. Um, those are important components 
to the actual meeting itself. It's just that the sermon-based discussion time, it gives kind of a good sticking point, you know, a good rallying point for everybody in the group. So for us, you know, because we are a, a, a church that has a, a methodology of a um, expositional message be, because we t- teach the Bible verse by verse, right. um, when we're doing our discussion time, it really is centering around the text, you know? So you could kind of say it's like a text-based discussion that obviously the sermon is going to bleed into because that has been the teaching that has helped people get some insights about that Mm -hmm. passage. So um, what is happening then is that a person is either in attendance on Sunday or listens to the recording of the teaching before their life group so they've heard the word. Then they go to group and they discuss that same passage in that same sermon. So one obvious thing that's going to happen is if you are in a life group, you know when you're there on Sunday that you're going to be talking about this yeah. with other people. Oh, yeah. So you better pay attention is a, is a little bit of what's happening there. Like, yeah. okay, this isn't just me to, for me to passively receive, mm-hmm. let my mind drift or whatever, and then just kind of be done. Like, we're going to double back and we're going to think about this. So in the moment of receiving the word, there seems to be a deeper intentionality. Look, we'd all love to think that we were like spiritual giants every time the word was open and every time a sermon was given that we gave it our utmost and most you know devoted attention but the reality is we're human beings so we don't always do that you know we can kind of go right. through the motions you know um i don't know if you've ever had the experience of someone saying good teaching and you said what did you like and they just had nothing <laughs> like uh the first part was really great <laughs> just when you ended it, that was awesome <laughs> you know so so i i think by the simple knowledge that hey we're going to double back and talk about this it yeah. increases a person's attentiveness during the teaching which That's of good. course is great it, it helps prepare the soil of their hearts to be more receptive to god's word but also when you double back and think about it a second time, it th- that's kind of the secret sauce where that really makes the word stick in people's yeah. lives mm-hmm. so much more. And, you know, to just go back and kind of talk about it, talk through it, you know, think about it a little bit more. Um, you know, sometimes people will uh, ask me what it's like to teach multiple services, you know, we've right now we have three services we used to have a early morning service so we've had up to four services on weekends i've known guys that have had like six or seven services on a weekend and people will ask me about that like you know what's that like well for me i feel like it's a privilege because for one it's just a wild ride with the holy spirit because (laughs) each service like everybody's different you know and every service has its own personality so you know, up at our nine o'clock service, I could be talking about like parenting and, you know, everyone's like, oh yeah, you know, like so many people get that. Like there's so many parents in the house, the children's ministry is just packed to the guilt. And then Sunday night, if I'm trying to use some like, you know, and when you're parenting, I look out and I'm like, oh yeah, there's not a lot of, not a lot of active parents that are in attendance, you know, right now. So it's just fun to like really uh, follow the 
spirits leading in each one of those services. But a big thing that I like is that it gets that scripture into my heart in such a strong way because by the time I've taught it after that third service, I probably have taught it in the studio also. I maybe have taught it an additional time. So I've got like four or five times of going through that passage in addition to all the study during the week for it. It really gets it into my heart. So for the people in the church to be able to double back at life group and kind of revisit a passage, it really, I think, maximizes the impact of what God's word is supposed to do in their hearts. So I think that's one of the big, big reasons. Plus you get to hear what other people are saying about the scripture and really like, you know, consider it a little more deeply than before. That's really good. You also talk about how um, these groups get to kind of unify our church, which, hey, another great word for the millennials out there, uni- unity. unity. Thanks for throwing that in there, Nate. Um, but, man, I know personally I've experienced the kind of the unifying element of these groups. But um, maybe you can kind of talk about this. How are these groups kind of structured in a way to actually bring unity? Is it because of the sermon-based element? Is it because we're just doing these year in, year out, how do they bring unity to our church? I think in a lot of ways, but one of them is just that if you consider it like all over the Monterey Peninsula, every single week that we're in life group session, you have a large bulk of the church, you know, maybe 60% of the church is sitting with other Christians talking about the text that we were all in together that previous Sunday. So that by itself is a really unifying thing. You've got people from every walk of life and, and, and from every pocket of our community that are sitting down together talking about scripture. So that just looks like unity. You know, that's just really cool. You got a group up in Prunedale talking about the same passage of scripture as a group down in Carmel and then everything in between. So even though we're scattered throughout the week and doing our lives, there's a unity there in the sense that we're we're still thinking about the same truths. How Mm. can we apply that passage of scripture Uh, into our lives then there's the unity that just comes from actually knowing other believers i get it you know i've heard the whole thing before you know from the book of acts you've got how they met in the temple and then they met from house to house so the some people say hey you know the temple was where the big meeting took place and then the house to house was where the smaller fellowship took place i like that you know i like that concept But then some people say, you know, some people are temple people and some people are house to house people. And I don't like that concept as much because I've known, quote unquote, temple people who there's something broken in their heart. That's why they have such a tough time with the house to house. It's good for us to confront that stuff and to say, look, there's a like there's a thing going on in me that doesn't want to open up. I don't want to know people. I don't want to be known. So I just like the big meetings all the time. Mm. And then a little chit chat before and after. (laughs) It's safe. I'm good. But I think the Lord wants to take you past that. You know, I think he wants to take you in a place where you actually can know people. You are actually known. I realize that that is not as comfortable as an uh, of an experience for some people as it is for others. That's just what it is. The different personality types that God has given to us. But I think sometimes we fascinate over our personality types and Mm. use it as an excuse 
to not push into the things that God himself has said that he wants us to push into. Come on. There's something really unifying about being with people that you would not normally be with and talking with them, getting to know them, getting to experience them, that is unifying. And then mm, when you do see the larger meetings on Sundays, it's just wild, man. I mean, people love each other. They they know each other. There's a connection, yeah. you know, that they have. And to be honest, you know, because I, I think I kind of worried like, all right, is that going to create like a little, you know, um, segments in the church where you have a life group. There's 14 people in that life group. And then when they come to church, that's all that they're doing. That's all, all they want to hang out with. I think it's actually made the church friendlier than it yeah. has ever been because mm-hmm. I, I think that it creates this sense of understanding that, you know, it's kind of hard for somebody to come into a new group. That's difficult. Oh yeah. It's hard for somebody to come into a new church too. And it, I think creates, a, even though it does create that thing of, Hey, there's my people. I know them. Cool. I've got somebody to talk to at church. I think it also helps foster that hospitable spirit. I felt that too. In general. So you can feel the unity on a Sunday gathering uh, as well. So I think in a lot of ways it unifies our church. Oh, yeah. For sure. The unity community. (laughs) Hashtag. (laughs) Oh, man. You also talk about a little bit about the leadership model for these small groups and you already talked about it a little bit but um, I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about it if you had some more to say but what does the leadership model look like for a leader in a group like I know we're not asking just straight up pastors to lead these groups we have a, a wide group of leaders it's pretty yeah. you know uh, vibrant like who's actually leading these groups but uh, what are we hoping that these leaders will do for the groups and just like what are the I guess requirements, kind of nice just to know that. Yeah, so our basic like lifestyle requirement is the yeah. Titus, uh, or excuse me, the, the 1 Timothy 3 qualification for deacons. Cool. So we ask people to take a look at that deacon lifestyle and ask themselves, can I commit to that lifestyle? We're not asking them to be as like nailed down on the finer points of our church's doctrine as the pastors are. Right. Uh, We're a little more open-handed about that. There's, of course, essentials that they have to adhere to and believe in, but uh, we do a good job of giving them good background material to be able to read and get some good grounding and insight into the passage that we just went through. I, of course, give pretty detailed sermon notes for each teaching so Mm -hmm. you can see the commentary or the explanations for each little passage, usually uh, written out uh, online. So what we're looking for are people who, uh, giftedness-wise, are um, love people, are relationally warm, Mm -hmm. and are believers, obviously, who have committed themselves to a deacon lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when somebody identifies as that and we we get to know them, you know, our our pastoral leadership team will get to know them, make sure that they're qualified enough to be able to gather together with other, other believers and say, hey, this is what we read in the text. Let's pray together. What did you guys think? And ask the questions that have been sent out each week. Uh, then we just go for it. And this is part of where the Holy Spirit really comes in because, you know, God really will put his hand on some people and raise others up. And it's a pretty exciting thing to, to see. 
But to me, it creates many more pathways for leadership and opportunities for leadership than uh, if all we're doing are official ministries right. where you either have to be like a Bible teacher or you have to have like funding for some ministry that the church is going to support and get into. It opens up the door. I mean, if you think about a church with um, about 40 groups meeting, that means you've got 40 leaders, potentially, you know, probably around 30 to hosts because mm -hmm. some hosts and leaders will double up and some will host it at the church building. But that's, you know, a lot of people that are getting an opportunity to serve the Lord in a, a leadership mm -hmm. kind of capacity. And I prefer it because I think a lot of times when people aspire to Christian leadership, I think sometimes the motive is wrong. I think sometimes people see like someone who's speaking and they think, I'd like to talk. I'd like to stand in front of people. I'd like to say things. Um, you know, for me, like I do that because it's a burden. Hmm. Uh, I'm kind of happy when there's those days where I get to sit down and just yeah. receive and listen. You know, it's it's a responsibility yeah, to do that sure. kind of work. There's days where you get to make everybody happy, and then there's days you have to make everybody yep. sad. Yep. Um, but to me, to be able to humble yourself and say, I want to take a group of people and I want to love on them. Hmm. I want to take care of them. I want to follow up with them. I want to shoot them texts during the week and see how they're doing. Hmm. I want to gra grab coffee with that guy that's hurting. I want to, you know, privately without telling any, telling the people themselves, but privately like get a little collection going because so-and-so is having a tough hmm. time financially. Yeah. Like, I want to take care of God's sheep. I, to me, that's just such a cool thing, yeah. you know? So, and, and something that I think a lot of believers are totally equipped to be able to do, mm. but they haven't found a good outlet for that. And so that's why I like this style because it takes out of the equation that thing that says you have to be a, a handler of scripture. You have to be a, a right divider of God's word in a pastoral teaching kind of way yeah. in order to lead a small group, you know, where a lot of times it's just, you're praying with each other, you're eating cookies together, you're getting to know each other, you're yeah. supporting each other, you know, yeah, I could pick up your kids on Friday. Yeah. You mm. know, I, we'll pray for you. You don't have a job. Oh, I'll keep my ears open. You know, like these are things that don't require a seminary yeah. degree right. to be able to do, but sometimes, so, so I just like that, that it opens up those pathways. Amen, man. I love that too. I, I think it's just a beautiful model. Uh, just to kind of wrap this up, Nate, I thought you could just take a moment and just maybe speak to somebody who isn't in a life group, but um, maybe is curious about it. Maybe they've been in a life group before at a different church and had a bad experience, whatever it may be. Maybe they're just kind of on the fence about joining one. <clears throat> what, what would you say to that person just considering it? Like, would you say just go for it? What, what would be your encouragement? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really ever try to make anybody do anything. Right. You know, so if you've had a bad experience in, in a life group, my I think my part of my encouragement would be, can, or the question I would ask is, can you learn to thank God for everything in your life? Mm. And can you learn to thank him even for the hard things that have happened to you that have helped 
shape you and mold you and and grow you and challenge you and make you stronger you know um so i i i i definitely am a firm believer that a church should not and i don't think we really have uh communicate that a small group is going to fulfill everyone's wildest dreams Uh these are messy groups because real human beings are in them you know so the more open you become and vulnerable you become the more real things get at times disappointments occur it's just life you know Mm -hmm. and uh, but jesus knew that it would hurt to interact with humans and he did it I think we're to follow his example. So, you know, my thing would just be like, uh, I, I, I don't even want to say give it a shot because right. what happens when you do that? It's like, I'll use the example from a few years ago when I sensed the Lord leading me to begin writing. Somebody advised me, they said, if you're going to start writing, commit to it for two years. And the reason you should commit to it for two years is because if you don't, there will be so many times that it's not going well where you will want to stop. You'll choose to stop. So you have to make a longer commitment so you can break through that. And so to say give a life group a shot or give a small group a a shot, it kind of gives the idea like, hey, you know, uh, just try it out. You know, three, four weeks in, you can make your real decision. But I've found that the blessings come from just year after year after year, just sitting with Christians, hearing their lives, hanging out with them. Don't be the hummingbird that just is jumping around from place to place, but stick with it. And God does some beautiful things for a person who remains you know so that'd be my exhortation would would be i I think what you kind of need to go through is you need to kind of go through a a shift in your thought process to to remember and recall you know when i became a christian i was bought by the blood of jesus Mm -hmm. i'm no longer my own i was put into a new humanity so if your whole life is separated from that new humanity, you're not really experiencing what Christ has for you. So make a commitment to that new humanity. And I, I think you'll be, in the end, blessed. It's just that God, you're going to have to let God define what it means for you to be blessed. Because if, if, if it means that... If blessed only means I get all my best friends and we go, you know, we have park play dates with our toddlers every week and, you know, or whatever. It's like that may happen and that might not happen. Uh, So you have to let Jesus define what it means for you to be blessed. All right. Well, thanks again for tuning in today. If you'd like to hear some more from Pastor Nate, please visit his website, nateholdridge.com. You can also catch full sermons from Pastor Nate by following the teachings tab on calvary.com. That's his home church. And as always, we'll have a new episode for you next Thursday. But until then, God bless. Have a great week.